Good morning, everyone. Christ is risen. Amen. He is risen indeed. It's a joy to be with you in the house of the Lord to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and if you are joining us via live stream, we're glad that you're tuning in, though we wish that you could be here with us. So if you can, if you get out of the house, if you are close enough, even if you're a little late, we'd love to have you with us to worship the Lord Jesus Christ on this day. It was on Friday that Christ Jesus, our Savior, died on the cross, and there he shed his blood for us so that we might be forgiven of our sins. And on the third day, on Sunday, on the Sabbath day, on the Lord's day, the Lord Jesus Christ rose again from the dead, securing for us our eternal redemption and forgiveness of our trespasses and sins. And so we come together this morning to worship the Lord Jesus Christ for his incredible work on the cross and for the empty tomb. And if you are joining us for the first time, and we're glad to have you with us, welcome to Seacoast Community Church. And if you identify as a believer, we're glad. Join us. Uh, lift up your voice as we worship the Lord Jesus Christ for his incredible work for us and to celebrate with us Christ's resurrection from the dead. Uh, if it's your first time and you do not identify as a believer, as a Christian, we're glad that you're here also. And if you are willing to, join us also in worshiping Jesus Christ. Sing the songs as we, as we have them up displayed on the projector screen. And our hope and desire is that you might come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, even this very morning. Let me uh, turn to us to a passage of Scripture as our call to worship. I'll read this for us, and then we will, we will celebrate. We will rejoice. Let us be a people who cannot help but, can, but express our joy and our gladness for what Christ has done for us. In John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And if you believe, then let us worship. Let me introduce our time together by saying a quick word of prayer, and then we will, we will sing. Jesus Christ, we come together this morning because you have risen from the grave. Without your resurrection, there would be no hope. We would still be in our sins. But we thank you, Lord, that that is not the case, that there is hope in the gospel because you, in fact, have risen from the grave. That tomb is empty, and you have ascended on high to sit at the right hand of the Father. And so we lift up our worship to you this very morning. We pray and ask that you might meet us, your presence would be with us through your spirit, and that you might gladly receive the sacrifice of our worship, and that it might be honoring and glorifying to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Church, let's stand. Let's worship this morning together. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my life, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are sick. 
1 verses 16 through 17 for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written the righteous shall live by faith
singing songs of praise that say that no grave could ever restrain you, Father. And praise the Lord, for He is alive. Listen and stand in this morning in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, your Son. What a joy it is to be amongst believers, Father, amongst people to to come and worship your name, to worship, Father, the work that you've done through Jesus. God, today we rejoice. We praise you, Father, for you are worthy of our praise. We celebrate 
today, Father. And in that, Lord, I pray you may lead us now, Lord, in, in another type of worship, in your word and in prayer. May you be honored, Father. May you be exalted, God. May your word edify our souls, that we be encouraged. May you open our eyes, God, to see you. Lead us this morning, Father, in the rest of our time together. May you be honored. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, you may be seated. And at this time we'll be dismissing uh, our children to their... going to read to us some passages from Psalm 40, and then we'll spend some time in prayer, just exalting and praising the Lord for the gospel. Psalm 40, verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thought towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy upon me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. Amen. Let's go to the Lord and let's pray. Jesus, we gather this morning because you, you drew us out of the pit of destruction. From heaven, you looked down upon us and you saw us drenched and submerged in the miry bog of our sin. We who were deserving of your judgment because of our sins and because of our offenses against you and your holy name and your perfection and your glory. And yet you looked with love and with mercy and with, and with pity. And you drew us out of the pit of destruction through your precious gospel. And you set our feet upon a rock and you made our steps secure. And that is why we can boldly sing today that on Christ the solid rock we stand. And that all other ground is sinking sand. You looked upon us in our helpless estate. And you gave your son for us. Who became to us our redemption. 
who became to us our precious Savior, who took upon himself the wrath that we so righteously deserved, so that we, by our faith, by faith in the gospel, we might be forgiven of every single one of our sins and receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ credited to our account. And with that, Lord, you have put a new song in our mouth. That is why we can worship you with song this morning, proclaiming of your great and glorious gospel, proclaiming of the great mercy that we have in Jesus Christ. You've put a song of praise upon our lips. You've put a joyful tune in our hearts. So we thank you and we praise you, Jesus. And Lord, we, at the same time, we admit that we, we are not perfect. Though we today have and we wear the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that righteousness is something that continues to progressively take effect in our lives as we continue to strive to work out our faith in you and we desire for more righteousness, we yearn and we hunger for more righteousness. And we're thankful, Lord, that each and every day you renew your mercies to us, that each and every time your people come before you in the confession of their sins, you gladly forgive them. Lord, what joy it is gather with God's people so that we can together as a family, as a household of God, as a community built on the gospel of Jesus Christ, exercise our trust in this gospel as we pray, as we sing, as we fellowship, as we sit under your word. And Father, we pray that the great most mercies and grace that you have multiplied upon us through the gospel, that you would do graciously upon others who have yet to know you. We pray, Lord, that even those who might be joining us this morning, who you do not yet know personally the great mercies of God in the gospel, that they might know it this very morning, that they might turn to you, that they might believe in Christ as Savior. Lord, and would you help us as your people to not restrain our lips from declaring the great deliverance that we have in the gospel, that we might go boldly and continue to share the great mercies of God that are found in Christ Jesus. Give us an increasing boldness. And Lord, we pray for those this morning who who, knew, who just need a renewed sense of hope, who need renewed strength, who need new encouragement. Lord, would you resurrect that hope in your people this morning? Would you resurrect that strength and that encouragement that your people have in this well of the gospel? They might turn to you, that whatever songs of distress or sorrow that they have been, that have been in their lips this week because of distress or tribulation or whatever the case might be, that you might turn them to songs of gladness even this very morning as they cast their minds on the gospel and the great joy and the great hope 
that you have placed there for the sake of your people. Lord, we pray that you would bless the rest of our time, bless the preaching of your word. Would you, would you help your servant to draw attention to the hope of the resurrection? Lord, encourage us, strengthen us, and help us. And that you may continue to be honored. And that we, that our hearts may continue to sing of the great joy that we have. That that tomb that Christ Jesus was once buried in is empty. We thank you for these things. We trust you for all these things. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, please turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. The words will be up on the screen. You can follow along that way. There's also a Bible, should be one underneath the seat in front of you as well if you want to follow along in God's Word. 1 Corinthians 15. Verses 20 to 22. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. This is the word of the Lord. Oftentimes people will make a decision about whether or not to read an article based on the headline. Right, and the headline needs to be catchy, needs to be persuasive, needs to capture the reader's attention in order to persuade them to continue to read along. Some of the most historic or iconic headlines, for example, are the Titanic sinks, Nixon resigns, men walk on the moon, peace, that one came right after the Japanese surrender in World War II. Here's another headline that is not as iconic, but quite memorable. Cows lose their jobs as milk prices drop. Could be written long ago because that's not the case today. Cows are making a killing is probably the new headline. Momentous events in history, or even interesting events in history, of course, generate popular, pithy, Headlines. Now, if newspaper headlines had been a thing over 2,000 years ago, one of the most iconic headlines that would have been historical, and it certainly is for the Christian, and that headline would probably be something to be to the effect of empty tomb. Luke, in his gospel, in chapter 24, writes for us 
what would have been embedded in such a headline. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they, the women who were going to see the body of Jesus taking spices that they had prepared, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? What a great question. He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men to be crucified and on the third day rise. And so that would have caused an uproar. People would have been talking about it for a very long period of time. That this man that they had held, that they had behold with their own eyes, they are crucified, that he's actually living again. In fact, he would go on to show himself not only to these women and also his disciples, but also to 500 other individuals before he was ascended on high to the right hand of God. Our passage, 1 Corinthians 15, has its own headline as well. And that headline, I think, would be Resurrection Possible. Today, on Easter, on Resurrection Day, we want to give thought to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. And one thing I want to consider with you is the necessity of the resurrection. Or if I could put this into the form of a question, why is the resurrection of Jesus Christ necessary? Why is it necessary? Even Jesus himself had told his disciples that on the third day he must rise from the dead. Why is the resurrection of Jesus Christ necessary? Our sin, because our sins demand justice. This will become more clear later on, but our sins demand justice. Romans chapter 6 says that the wages of sin is death. Wages is very is, is, is transactional. Wages is compensation, so that when you do a work for someone, in exchange, they give you something in return, some kind of compensation. And what is expected is that it is a fair amount. You work, and in turn, you receive. From the scriptures say that the wages of sin is death. It's transactional. That there is a cost to be paid with every sin. It's the same idea when we say that a person has paid their debt to society. Right? When a cr criminal has been given a just verdict and then he does his time and finally he is able to go away free, he is said to have done his time. He has paid his debts to society. He has paid the wages of his crime. Now here is another headline to consider, and that is, who can afford to break the law of God? Who can afford to break the law of God? The scriptures tell us that everyone is guilty, that everyone has committed crimes against the Lord, 
And the answer to that headline is that no one, no one can afford to break the law of God. Romans 3 gives us a pretty stark description of all persons without exception. It tells us there in Romans 3.13 that their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruined in misery in the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And seeing a passage like that, it's easy for us to quickly conclude, well, that's not talking about me. That sounds like a pretty, pretty wicked individual. I mean, they throw this in open grave. Their tongue is used to deceive others. Well, certainly that's not me. I'm bad, but I'm not that bad. Well, ask yourself, have you ever said anything foul? If the words, if you could put some kind of fragrance or some kind of aroma to the words that you use often or regularly or occasionally, what kind of aroma would it give off? Would it be a pleasing aroma? Would it be something that is attractional, something that smells nice? Or would it be foul, detestable? Have you ever lied to anyone? Have you ever betrayed someone's trust with your words? Have you ever cursed? If your words could be digestible, wait, what would they taste like? Would it be sweet? Would it be appetizing? Would it be nice to the stomach or would it be bitter? Would it cause your stomach to churn and make all these noises because it's not sitting well? Have you ever caused any kind of division, whether it's somebody you work with, or somebody who is a friend, or someone in your home, or somebody who is a loved one? And if you answer yes to any of those questions, then you are closely connected to that passage, then you realize. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all, all without exception, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That passage tells us that the glory of God, or God himself, is a standard. And someone here might argue, well, that's not right, that's not fair. Right? How can anyone measure up to the standard of God? Right? If he is perfect, if he is holy, if he's never committed a mistake, if he's never committed sin, because this is what we should expect from a holy God, any God that commits sin or is imperfect is not a God at all. But how is it fair that we should be measured up to the standard of God? But in turn, I would ask, well then, what would be a fair standard? And who should set that standard? Should you set that standard? Should the person next to you set that standard? Should your neighbor set that standard? Who gets to determine what that standard is? No, but it must be set by a holy and perfect and sinless God. And he also gets to determine what are the consequences of our failure to be, of our inability to meet that standard. Romans 2.9 tells us that there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. Jesus warns his audience 
about the dangers of eternal consequences. When he says on the Sermon on the Mount, that if your right eye or if your right hand causes you to sin, gouge it out or cut it off and throw it away, for it is better for you to enter into a much more pleasant outcome after this life with one eye and with one arm, as opposed to going to the other negative consequence that will come after your life and enter into it with both arms and both eyes intact. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is necessary because our sins demand the justice of God. And it is in the resurrection where we see that Christ Jesus has accomplished the forgiveness of our sins. Romans 3.23 says and continues, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This Jesus, this precious Savior has been put forward. We consider the wages of sin is death. Jesus took it upon himself. He willingly set himself forward and says, I will take the wages of your sin and mine upon himself. And there on the cross, he suffered the penalty for those sins. He absorbed the wrath of God on account of our sins. So that all those who place their faith and trust upon Jesus Christ receive the forgiveness of their sins. And instead receive the wages of Christ's righteousness. Romans 4.25 says that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. It is the raising of Jesus Christ from the dead that secures for his people the forgiveness of their sins. His death is where he absorbed the wages of our sins. And it is his resurrection that secured the forgiveness of our sins. And it is his resurrection that assures us that we have indeed been forgiven. Because if First Corinthians tells us that if Christ Jesus did remain in the tomb, then we would still be in our sins because it would have meant that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was not enough. But the fact that he is risen means that it was enough that it was enough to pay for every single one of the sins of his people. So that whatever sins you committed yesterday, or committed this morning, or will commit later, or whatever sins you will do tomorrow, or the next week, or the next month, or the next year, or the next ten years, that for those who are in Christ, all of them have been paid for. And there's no longer any need for the wages of sin to be paid or to be demanded from your life. Jesus Christ is sort of like our apology before the Lord. When you make an apology to someone, it's, it's very, it's transactional. When, when the offender comes to the offended and recognizes that they have offended the other person and asks for their forgiveness, 
and if the other person, the offended party, should accept the person's forgiveness, it's transactional because that person, instead of retaliating, even if they might be justified in doing so, instead of retaliating, instead they are choosing to absorb it. Forgiveness means that I am choosing not to do anything to you in return. That I'm not going to hold your offense or your sin against you. Even though you've hurt me, even though you did something terrible to me, I am choosing to not hold it against you anymore. That's what forgiveness is, and that's what forgiveness, that's the forgiveness that Jesus Christ secured for us on the cross. So that believing in the gospel is our apology before the Lord, and we confess our sins before the Lord. And we ask for the Lord's forgiveness and ask that Jesus would save us. And in turn, God says, I will not retaliate. I will not hold it against you anymore because I've sent my son to absorb the penalty of your sins on your behalf. The resurrection is encouraging for the Christian because it tells us that forgiveness is possible. A theologian by the name of Wayne Grudem had once said, by raising Christ from the dead, God the Father was in effect saying that he approved of Christ's work of suffering and dying for our sins, that his work was completed, and that Christ no longer had any need to remain dead. There was no penalty left to pay for sin, no more wrath of God to bear, no more guilt or liability of punishment. All had been completely paid for, and no guilt remained. Praise be to God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is necessary because our sins demanded justice, and it is the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that secures our redemption, and the forgiveness of our sins. As I said earlier, and as Corinthians says, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we would still be in our sins. Secondly, the resurrection, first fruit. Again, the passage says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The term first fruit refers to a first sample of an agricultural crop. And it indicates the nature and the quality of the rest of the crop, the rest that's coming. So the farmer is able to tell from the very first fruit of his harvest what the rest of his harvest is going to look like. And so what we read here in the passage is that Jesus Christ is the first fruits of resurrection, meaning he is the first fruits of a great harvest that is coming that his resurrection wasn't exclusive or unique to him, but all those who are in him will follow suit. That all those who are in him are the fruits that follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. And they will be like him also in nature and in quality. First, concerning the nature of this resurrection, consider the nature of Jesus' resurrection. In John 20, verse 26 Eight days later, Jesus' disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. 
Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Thomas, at that point, did not believe that Jesus actually rose again from the dead until Jesus actually revealed himself to Thomas. And there in this passage, we see that this was a physical, bodily resurrection. This wasn't some kind of ghost or spirit. No, Thomas was actually able to touch the body of Jesus Christ, even put his hands on the very hands of Jesus where the wounds were from the nails of his crucifixion, and even put his hands on the side of Jesus where it was pierced. This was an actual body. It's what a farmer looks at his apple tree and he sees the first apple. There he has an indication of what the rest of the crop will look like. He has an expectation there as well. So he knows that this is an apple tree. It's bearing apple trees. It's not going to bear oranges. It's not going to bear pears. It's going to bear apples. Consider also the quality as well of the resurrection. In Matthew 28, the women go to see the body of Jesus Christ. The tomb is opened to see the angels who tells them in verse 6, He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. What we learn here is that Jesus was immediately recognizable. The women were on their way, and Jesus meets them on the way and says, Hey, and they immediately bow down and they worship the Lord Jesus Christ. They know that it's him. He didn't look differently, but he is Jesus. He looks just like Jesus, and yet his body is different. He has a glorified body. Again, consider how Jesus presents himself to Thomas. It's a glorified body, but still bears the marks of the nails. But he's not crying in agony. He's not in pain. He's not in turmoil. He's himself. He's in absolute peace. You and I can tell a good fruit from a bad fruit. For 11 years, my wife has been working on me to eat more vegetables and fruit. For the most part, she's been pretty unsuccessful. But she's been better with fruit. Growing up in a Hispanic home, I was content with my rice and beans and a good hearty portion of meat, and I didn't eat anything else. But I've come to love cantaloupe. If you cut that thing in our house, I mean, it's gone in like an hour. And so I know what a good cantaloupe tastes like, just like many of you know what a good apple or what a good cantaloupe tastes like, what a good grape tastes like. And upon appearance, it might look good, but it's not really until you bite into it that you can, you can actually taste for yourself the quality of it. 
It's similar with a tree that's bearing apples. It looks good, but it's not until the farmer bites and sinks his teeth into that apple can he have any kind of expectation that the rest of the crop will also be of good quality as well. But Jesus Christ being the first fruits of resurrection means that those who are in Christ will also experience a bodily resurrection as well. Not resurrected as spirits, something you can't really grasp, but actual living flesh. But it will be far different. Glorified. Different than the kind of body that you and I have right now in this very moment. And we have this assurance because Jesus Christ himself was risen from the dead. But someone might interject, someone might argue, well, Jesus Christ is God. Of course, he rose from the dead because he is God. But what kind of assurance does that give you and I as mortal men that we also arise from the dead? But let us not forget that Jesus is also man. And as a man, he had to eat, he had to drink, he had to sleep. And as a man, he bled. And only as a man could he be crucified. And only as a man could he also die. And as a man, and as the God-man, he also rose again from the dead, securing the forgiveness of our sins and giving us the confident assurance that just as he was risen from the dead, so also those in Christ will be risen from the dead. There's so no sin left to pay for. Right? When you sit down at a restaurant at the end of the meal, you receive the bill. And it is expected of you that you pay the entire bill. If you don't pay the entire bill, well, there's some consequences. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees to us that Christ Jesus did not pay only a partial part of the bill, but he paid the entire bill on your behalf and mine. And what's more than that, than that is that he graciously gives us the blessing of having a resurrected body one day. Sort of like leaving a great tip. The nature and quality of Christ's resurrection secures the quality and the nature of our resurrection. It secures for us a body that is nothing less than glorified. A resurrection body is the inheritance of the Christian. A glorified body is the, the life insurance that is paid out to your account on the death of Jesus Christ. Those who are in Christ Jesus by faith have been written into his will so that they become the beneficiaries of a perfected body, a body that is impervious to aging, a body that is invulnerable disease, a body that is indomitable to decay, a body that is incapable of sinning, a body that cannot even be tempted to sin and will not even want to sin. To conclude, what are some encouragements that we can draw from the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave? One encouragement that we can draw is hope. We have great hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Specifically, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Later on in, verse, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul will go on to talk about all the things that he suffered. That he is in danger every hour. And he says, humanly speaking, that he has fought with the beasts of Ephesus. 
they essentially says, what is the point? What is the point of going through all these trials and tribulations? What is the point of going through all this distress on the account of the gospel of Jesus Christ if there is no hope of a resurrection? And he essentially says, if there is no hope of the resurrection, then eat and drink for tomorrow we die. In other words, do whatever you want. Who cares? Do whatever you please. Because at the end of the day, it does not matter if there is no hope of a resurrection. We'd still be in our sins. Meeting together would be in vain. Preaching would be in vain. There's no point to anything. But if there is the hope of the resurrection, then living for Christ today, no matter what that calls for, is worth it. And because we have the hope of the resurrection, we can rest secure. This hope that we have is a, is a haven for the Christian, is a, is a refuge for the Christian. In India, there's this fort called the Marud. And its, talls, its walls are 40 feet high with 19 round bastions. It's making it one of the most indomitable fortresses that history has ever seen. The hope of the Christian that comes with the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave is the, the marud of the Christian. There we have this great safe haven that fortifies us from the calamities and the distresses and the sufferings and, the, and whatever persecutions that as a Christian we might endure in this life. And that this hope is secure through the resurrection of Christ. As long as we have this hope, as painful as life might be, the Christian is able to endure just about anything because they know there's something else, there's something better coming. Many things will try to have the last say in your life, whether it is an incurable disease, whether it is calamity, whether it is temptation and sin, whether it's the devil, whether it's the flesh, whether it is the world, whether it is distress, whether it is persecution, even death itself will always try to have the last say in your life. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ assures you that it is Jesus who is going to have the last say in your life. Another encouragement we might draw from the resurrection is to share. To share that there is hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. For every person who is addicted to drugs or to alcohol, for those who have lost a loved one, for those who have been walked out on by a loved one, for those who have suffered or are in distress, for those who are still under the weight of sin and the punishment of that the sins deserve, that there is great hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What are Christians but evangelists and heralds of hope? That's what we are. That's what we're called to be. We have this message of hope to share with the world that there is a hope of the resurrection, that there is great news, that there is a gospel through which man can be saved and receive eternal life, forgiveness of their sins, a resurrected body, eternal life with Christ, live in paradise 
with the Lord. And then lastly, something that we can do and we will do as a means of encouragement that points us to the gospel of Jesus Christ is as believers, as family, as a household of faith, is to together take communion. So if you have yet to do so, there are these small cups in the back table. Feel free to make your way back there at this time if you have yet to grab one of these. First, let me tell you who this is for. This communion is ordained by the Lord to the church to be taken together as often as we meet. This is given to those who have placed their faith upon the Lord Jesus Christ. For those who, whose lives are characterized by repentance and the righteousness that God requires of us. Not perfect righteousness, that's not possible in this life, though we strive for more righteousness in our lives. And for those who have received baptism, for, so for anyone who is, who is characterized by those things, if you can confidently say, yes, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I am today a Christian, then you are welcome to take this meal with us, regardless of whether or not you are a member here at Seacoast Community Church. If you are just here visiting for the first time, and you call yourself, identify yourself as a believer, then we encourage you to take this meal with us as a brother or sister in Christ. But if you have yet to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, remember the wages of sin is death. So apart from believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the wages still have to be paid, and they have to be paid by someone. And if they're not paid by Christ Jesus by faith, then they will be paid by you eternally, forever. But today you can receive the forgiveness of your sins by confessing your sins before the Lord, confessing that you're a sinner before the Lord and asking for his forgiveness, asking that the Christ Jesus come into your life and be the Lord of your life. And you will have every one of your debt of sin paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then you can celebrate with us the great resurrection of Jesus Christ, which gives us this confident assurance that forgiveness has indeed been paid for or secured by Christ. With that being said, I would ask that you not take this meal with us if you have not believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ because there is a particular judgment reserved for those who do not do so in a worthy manner. Even in 1 Corinthians, read it for yourself. The Apostle Paul says that those who take this meal in an unworthy manner, some have fallen sick and have even died. So I feel that there might be immediate consequences in your life for taking this meal in an unworthy manner. But again, consider the gospel and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Second thing I'll mention with this meal is that let this be an encouragement to us as believers. Let this be a reminder to us that our sins have been forgiven. The wine represents the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on our behalf, and the body represents the bruise, the, br the bread re represents the bruised body of Jesus Christ. 
that took on the punishment that we deserve there on the cross, that we don't have to bear that punishment anymore. We don't believe that this actually becomes the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, but in a way, this is kind of a memorial. It's helpful for us to remind ourselves of the assurance, the forgiveness of our sins that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I do believe wholeheartedly, and I hope that you do as well, that even as we take this meal, that the presence of Christ Jesus is with us. And that he means to use it as an encouragement to you and as a blessing to you and to my life. We're going to do this a little bit differently than what we're normally accustomed to. In a moment, we'll pause, and then we'll take the bread, and this is how it's going to work out. I'm going to say to you that this is a body of Christ bruised for you, and then you, in turn, you'll sing it to yourself, but you'll say out loud, the body of Christ bruised for me. Now, I want you to be confident about it, that this is, and I want you to know this, this is. Christ Jesus reminding you that he has paid the penalty for your sins. There is no need to affirm that with any sense of shame or reservation. And I'll do the same thing with the cup. And I'll tell you this is the blood of Jesus Christ shed for you, and you in turn will say out loud, the blood of Christ shed for me. So let's take a moment to pause, reflect, Confess our sins to the Lord and rest in the forgiveness that's been secured for us in the death and resurrection of Christ Jesus. take. So open up your cup if you haven't done so. Take the bread in your hands. Brothers and sisters, the body of Christ bruised for you. The body of Christ bruised for me. The blood of Jesus Christ shed for you. The blood of Jesus Christ shed for me. Father in heaven, we rejoice in the great gospel of your Son, apart from which we would be in our sins, apart from which we would have no hope in this life. Lord, we thank you for sending your Son to die for us. 
and we thank you for raising your son for us. Lord, as we go about our day, that we continue to cast our minds to the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not just today, Lord, but every day. Help us to look to the resurrection and from there draw the encouragement, the strength, and the hope that we need when we need it most. Lord, and whenever we come to those moments when we doubt your great love for us, by your Spirit, remind us of the gospel. Remind us of the empty cross. Remind us of the empty tomb so that we may be reminded of your great love for us. We thank you, Father, for this morning. We thank you for the gathering of the saints, this joy to worship you and also to live for you. And by your Spirit, help us to continue to live with the hope of the resurrection. Thanks to the resurrection of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
all with a benediction for today. The Word of God says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Church, God bless you. You're dismissed. Amen. Thank you.